Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Not Safe for Wonks. Thank you so much for listening once again, spending your afternoon or morning or whatever time of day. Maybe you listen in the middle of the night. I don't know. With us, I'm Kennedy Cooper. Leia Rose. And I'm Drake. And joining us today, we have friend of the show, returning guest, Chris Armitage. Chris, so good to have you again. I'm really happy to be here. Uh, I... I have been looking forward to this one for a long time. I never get to talk about Harry Potter. And um, we're actually talking about doing a fundraiser out here. We're at uh, the local $5 movie theater. We're going to watch every Harry Potter movie and do a movie marathon. So I'm pretty big. I also want an army of people wearing capes and carrying wands canvassing. So hopefully (laughs) we get that. (laughs) And I'll be one of them, to be clear, because I'm a proud Hufflepuff. Yeah, you're not going to let your followers down like that um for those of you don't remember chris is a candidate in washington's fifth district for congress um just uh, all around amazing guy we had him on the show a while back i don't remember the episode number off the top of my head i am a john i look like if anyone saw me on the damage report when i went (laughs) there live in studio uh people had trouble telling us apart um but he's a foot taller than me so it's only when we're sitting down Yeah, some of our fans definitely did watch that, by the way. Like, they've been keeping up. Like, people really liked you on our show, that's for sure. Uh, gosh, the, just last time you were here was just, like, so crazy, off the rails, funny. Just one of, the, like, the wildest episodes we've recorded, I think, on a lot of levels. <laughs> yeah, I thought it was good. So, I think we're going to have another good time tonight. And, yeah, talking about Harry Potter, um, and maybe other things, too, we'll see, but... Mostly Harry Potter. Um, we <laughs> we uh, we kind of had this idea like a, a while back, um, but uh, the lean in general of this podcast, the people who make it, is slightly negative on Harry Potter, like as a whole. And so when when we met you and you were like, "I'm super. I'm the biggest Harry Potter fan, and I have this whole amazing." leftist view of it we were like this is perfect this is the balance we need to actually make this episode happen (laughs) (laughs) well i'm happy to do it i mean i know there's plenty to criticize there when you write that much and and we know that jk rowling is a little bit of a problematic person but i think it's important to separate the work and what you get from it um versus you know the the author and that's uh, i'm not sure if anyone's familiar with that song 3 a.m from matchbox 20 uh <laughs> I that one it's a beautiful there's an a, there's a piano only version um that the lead that rob thomas sings that's on youtube and uh he did an interview and was talking about it and he said this song whatever means whatever you want it to mean kind of like a painting or, or or you know any other form of art i think what we get out of it's important and even nietzsche you know the nazis used a lot of nietzsche's work to push their agenda but i don't think that means write off all of nietzsche's work True. i think it means um, people can use uh-huh. good things for bad reasons and and things that maybe um you know problematic folks created but can be used to build a you know, a happier individual and a better society. Yeah. And I think if you're a millennial, especially, but if you're anyone under the age of 45, Harry Potter has probably influenced you if you live in America or the UK. Sorry about that. That was, uh, I think that was a message from, uh, the, the, oh God, I gotta figure out how to say it. Okay. Bad forces telling us Aye. that we're going down the wrong path. <laughs> like, uh, it sounded like, it sounded like a bomb went off. God fucking damn it. My it's that, it sounded like the this. ring. Like you, you were about to claw, crawl through the, the speaker and devour <laughs> our souls. We're editing that out. Um, oh anyway, God! Okay. So ha- have uh, you so have you read you... have you read my image? No, yet? yeah. Do th- do that right after I finish what I was saying, basically. Um, but uh, yeah, I think if you grew up in America or basically probably anywhere in Europe or a lot of the world, really, 
and you're like under the age of 45, like you probably remember Harry Potter in some way. It is just a global phenomenon that has influenced a lot of people. I mean, I'm not saying the entire world, but a lot of people um, and the way that they think. So, you know, that's that's a unique experience for everyone. And that's what we're going to explore today, I guess. So I have a I have a little bit of a treat for you uh, to set the tone for um Set the tone for this episode. It's letters oh, to the it's letters to the editor, but we're the wrong editor, and like we're we've fucking we're reading other people's mail here. So, uh, dear Reddit, am I the asshole for insisting my girlfriend would be in Slytherin? <laughs> <laughs> no, Slytherin isn't inherently evil. Okay, there. A lot of our campaign is Slytherins, even though we're led by me, the Hufflepuff, and that's because. Um, you know, they, it, it, it's, it's not inherently evil to be Slytherin. Slytherin's no. about, you know, valuing being cunning or, or, or that kind of thing. But uh, I, I don't think to be Moving Slytherin on. is to be evil. Moving I don't on know if the person the, who wrote this uh, used it this way, though. Moving on to the substance <laughs> of the letter. Got into this argument with my girlfriend the other day. We both agreed that I would be in Ravenclaw because they value intelligence. And I graduated college cum laud and have read Faulkner but we couldn't agree which how she belongs to. She was adamant that she belongs in Gryffindor, and I had just had to call her out on it. I told her she was only saying that because Harry was in Gryffindor, and as a white girl whose dad is a lawyer and whose mo mother is a clinical psychologist, she's never had to overcome anything in her life. One of the tenets of Gryffindor is ethos is courage, and it doesn't take courage to drive around in the Audi that your dad bought you. <laughs> <laughs> So, of course, she gets mad at this, further proving my point. She asks what house I would sort her into, and I tell her Slytherin. She responds exactly as a Slytherin would. <laughs> she frowns, turns red, tells me I'm an idiot, I, I don't know what I'm talking about, and that she's taken the quiz on Pottermore multiple times and is already sorted into Gryffindor. So why the fuck would I say she's a Slytherin? I value honesty in a relationship, so I basically told her that she comes from a rich 100% Irish family and tends to be uh, Irish, famous uh, Sly Slytherins. Mm -hmm. yeah. and, 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 and they're Slytherins because, um, you know, J.K. Rowling being a Brit and the Irish and... Hates you know, the Irish, hates those... Yeah. Something, yeah, something, you know. drive the snakes out of Ireland, something, something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and that she tends to be a bitch when she doesn't get her way, like right now. She flips out, I, we start fighting. I probably should have told her she was a Gryffindor, but I was so heated instead that I doubled down and said that even her sexual proclivities would point to Slytherin because she's a dom, which I love, but still refused <laughs> to see my point. She told me I was an asshole taking a discussion about fictional houses so seriously, but like I said, I value honesty, and I think the house a woman chooses for herself says a lot about how she views herself and the person she aspires to be. Am I the asshole? I don't know. I mean, th this feels a lot like astrology conflicts. This feels like when people say, if you're a Scorpio, you're inherently an asshole. Uh, and I disagree with that as someone who knows a little bit of astrology. Uh, but I definitely see the comparisons here. It's just that with astrology, there's a uh, empirical thing that determine what zodiac sign you have, which is date. But for this, it's uh, a little bit more. You can just argue about it forever. It's just yeah. like, there's no fucking birth date corresponding to which house of fucking hogwarts that you're in it's unless hogwarts literally exists, un un unless the um unless the pottermore quiz has about the same intellectual rigor as the mbti <laughs> well i, I want to bring up a point about houses so for one one thing that we know is that you'll end up getting sorted into the house that you want that the sorting hat considers what you want um and that harry could have ended up in slytherin now, one of the most important quotes, I think, of the whole series is, is uh, from noted homosexual Albus Dumbledore, headmaster. And <laughs> noted. <laughs> um, that is canon. And he said, it is our choices, Harry, that show us who we truly are far more than our abilities. But even beyond that, um, you know, I think you could really wrap that around into implicit uh, racist biases or sexist biases that, um, you know, we have our, our, our natural inclinations, but it's the choices that we make that matter that, 
even if you feel a drive towards doing bad things, if you end up doing good things, uh, you're a good person. And so, um, if, but she sounds mean, so she's probably a Slytherin. I don't know. <laughs> no, 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 no. But what's the guy an Wait, asshole? That's the I operative the, question no, here. I, actually, I think the most important thing to figure out here is, uh, is reading Faulkner an absolute indicator of being in Ravenclaw? <laughs> Being condescending enough to bring that up makes you Ravenclaw. <laughs> when you graduated college, fucking come lots. <sighs> I would um, love um, to even bring up the uh, the different, and this is, this is a good starting point. Um, you know the way the way that you group people based on values, because I think it's it's important to look that that's the way that people are sorted in. Hogwarts is based on what they value. And so uh, I'd love to bring up the uh, specific um, house slogans. Uh, yeah, let's go for it. Pull that up real quick. Um, I'll mention to start uh, as Hufflepuff that Hufflepuff's value, uh, it says you might belong in Hufflepuff where they are just and loyal. Those patient Hufflepuffs are true and unafraid of toil. Now, when all the different um, classes were being created, Hufflepuff is where everybody else went who hadn't been sorted other places. Hufflepuff is a place for inclusivity, for justice, for loyalty. Uh, and that's why Bernie Sanders is a Hufflepuff. And <laughs> um, I'm claiming that. Um, that might Raven be a controversial Bull take. I feel like if... if if there's ever been a take on this show that's going to get us some some angry replies on Twitter, it's going to be that one. People will be, no, Bernie Sanders is a Gryffindor, and then you'll have another camp. No, he's Ravenclaw. Because if anyone tries to get into theory. shit fights on the show account, I will send you pig poop balls and then block you. We're not having this discussion. Chapelhead, Chapelhead, Chapelhead. <laughs> so, uh, well, Gryffindor, the reason I know he isn't Gryffindor is because Griff Gryffindors love attention. They love the spotlight and they're inclined to being reckless. Then uh, the Gryffindor motto is uh, you might belong in Gryffindor where, the dwe where dwell the brave at heart, daring nerve and chivalry set Gryffindor apart. Now, th like I said, that that inclines people who are more likely to be, um, you know, just chivalrous or daring for the sake of being daring a Gryffindor wouldn't have asked Elizabeth Warren to run for president in 2016 because you can, that's something you can tell about Bernie Sanders. In my opinion is this isn't something he's always wanted to do. He didn't write papers about wanting to be president when he was a kid. He's in it. He's unafraid of toil. He reads every bill and he, he's, he's in it for the cause, not for himself. That's why he built our revolution. Uh, an incredible group that Pete Buttigieg called uh, a shady super PAC. <laughs> that's a grassroots organization mm. yeah. that's meant to actually help progressive policies get passed. Uh, Pete Buttigieg calling fundraising shady. I mean, just the, the nerves of the guy. <laughs> uh, so Ravenclaw, yet in wise old Ravenclaw, you've a ready mind where those of wit and learning will always find their kind. Again, that's where you're going to find your condescending folks who want to brag about graduating summa cum laude and reading Faulkner uh, and then Slytherin where you'll make your real friends cunning folk who use any means to achieve their ends. Now that sounds like Pete. Now Chastin, Pete's partner, claims that Pete is a Hufflepuff. BS. Garbage. Not true. <laughs> and Chastin knows that that's a lie because tell me these cunning folks use any means to achieve their ends. Gee, I wonder who that sounds like. In the presidential race? Gosh, a few of them, really, but definitely Pete. <laughs> All right. we can. So now that we've outlined those, I, I, I will get off my soapbox. I want to make sure I leave room here for other people <laughs> who might not have as sharp of an expertise on Harry Potter to, um, to weigh in. I reject the framing of this debate because we have already implicitly accepted that Harry Potter is something worthwhile to discuss internally instead of externally <laughs> because I prepared for this with fucking Harry Potter is not good and you're debating inside of Harry Potter, which means I don't have any room to discuss. Well, I want to hear what you think isn't good about. It. So I'll, I will be, if I have to, the lone defender of harry potter and you I, throw you're not low it's just like i'm more in the middle leia's like very anti and i'm just and like empathetic. dre barely knows what harry potter is 
I had to yes, look up the Zoomer. Video. The, you know, <laughs> Brandon was going to be here, but he's also kind of Harry Potter apathetic, so I don't think it would have changed anything. Yeah. So I. We've got kind of a, a spread here, but you definitely on the far side of 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 Harry I'm, Potter. I'm is trying good. to find because there's an image that sort of succinctly puts together my uh, puts together the the criticisms of Harry Potter. But essentially, it's like J.K. Rowling is a neoliberal who doesn't see meaningful change outside the system as possible, and it bleeds through her work. Like fucking the 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 ultimate end of the storyline is Harry becomes wizard FBI. The um the only character who takes a stand against literal Chattel slavery is treated as a soapbox Sadie. Chattel? Chattel what? It's I don't know. The, that pronunciation came out of my mouth uh, and I didn't mean <laughs> to. Chattel slavery. I it, knows it, words. It, it, I I know words sometimes. I am a I am a podcast host. I know all of the words podcast before you can host the podcast you have to know every word yeah they, they take you through the dictionary you're like you know what this word is and i'm like yep yeah i do oh that word and that word and that word too so uh i, I okay so the point being made is that harry potter is, is Lip a, wank. <laughs> that jk rowling is saying you have to go join the fbi and we can't make change outside of the system now here's one point i want to mention uh dumbledore what uh awarded points for breaking the rules. I think that's relevant that when you, when characters broke the rules in favor of taking care of other people and fighting at back against racism, they were rewarded for, for, for those actions and sometimes punished too. You know, the, the world of Harry Potter is one uh, it's, it's very, very connected to um, world war two. And JK Rowling's even said that with multiple characters being based off of world war two figures. And I mean, they even created a guerrilla insurgent group called Dumbledore's army where they trained themselves in private without the help of the government. The government would have tried to stop them because the ministry of magic had been taken over uh they by fascists they created their own little training group to fight back against the bad guys and that was supposed to be their team so is that is that a clear point right there yeah, yeah, i, I mean i think you can argue i mean ultimate i mean ultimately ultimately the, like once the bad guys were defeated there was little systemic change to be had against the obviously unjust fucking everything that surrounds the the systems in place in power in the Harry Potter ethos expanded. I mean, you literally had people trying to commit ethnic cleansing. Defeating that seems like a pretty pretty substantial change. I get that, you know, they went back to the status quo. They had the Ministry of Magic. People were working their jobs. Hogwarts is back up and running. But they defeated the racists who wore outfits like, you know, the KKK and we're saying if you're anything other than a pure blood wizard or if you're a werewolf or, or mixed blood of any kind or a pure blood who helps non pure bloods, uh, then we should kill you. And they defeat those. I heard an, I heard a noise. Is there, uh, is there I, I just I, I mean, in the sense of that somewhat contributes to thinking of racism as an externality, something that can be flushed from the system rather than being inherent within the systems yeah but does harry potter like the harry potter universe is not our universe maybe racism actually is an externality within the harry potter universe i mean you do have to give that world of fiction the benefit of the doubt in that regard i think that there's definitely like there are kind of a few ways to look at this and we see that play out like this kind of thing sort of play out in a way every day on spaces like twitter and tumblr where you have like people who kind of got inspired by the message of like Chris is kind of like pointed to like Dumbledore's army, I think is one that people in particular really have pointed to as like, uh, I, you know, I've seen that as as like a like a little nod as, to Antifa and things like that. But then on the other hand, you have resistance libs on Twitter who are like, yeah, Harry Potter let's keep the status quo. So I think that like both of those viewpoints 
might be kind of supported by the text to some extent and that's like just like i think it's just a place where like we're always gonna have some of these like battles and and part of it's because jk rowling herself is not consistent in her own takes on what these things mean (laughs) of course no she's not particularly skilled at uh world building or analogies or politics Well, so, considering what one you- of the highest selling books of all time, I think it's hard to argue that it's it's not skilled. I mean, 50 Cent is one of the greatest selling uh, 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 performers of all time. And so whether or not you like him or don't, you can't argue that he's successful with what he's put out there. True, true. Um, not to what is, I mean, I think about like sort of the the history of how uh, Harry Potter has gone from a little bit more of like a symbol adopted by, like I say, people kind of in the Antifa type of camps and has been in recent times kind of often used by resistance libs. Like, what do you guys think about that and how that's like sort of changing or what do you, where do you think it's going now? I mean, we talked I mean, about this training in... with weapons. They were, they were training in secret areas with weapons on how to essentially go to war. And they were not part of the government. They were not part, you know, they were, they were an external resistance um, that was prepared to use force if necessary. And also I just want to wrap around a little bit to the racism point. I don't think they argue that racism was just destroyed. It had been around, you know, I think originally the book traces some of the the pure blood stuff to around 1100 uh, B or A, uh, AD, and um, there's still you know part of why Harry goes and becomes an Auror is because there are still dark racist wizards um, to be fought. That's still a thing. They just defeated one leader who was effective at uniting a lot of those uh, racist tendencies and stoking them. Mm, but. Even if there are still racist idiots around, the lack of meaningful change in the systems means that they will most assuredly uh, happen again because they didn't fix anything. They just defeated the one guy. Well, I guess that's a tough one to confront. I mean, how, you know, changing systems is important, but, you know, it's it's difficult. I mean, you can have, you know, laws that protect people um, from discrimination. And I think that existed within that world. Um, but I hear what you're saying. I think it just comes down to, like, J.K. Rowling is a fucking neoliberal. And the thought doesn't even occur to her that system change is possible. Just, uh, just kind of in general, and like I, I, I can't fault her for writing the book the way she did, based on her ideology. But like, I, I, it could have been better. Is all I'm trying to say is that there could have been a more radical Harry Potter. I don't know. I'm, I'm sorry if if it feels like I'm going too hard on this. I haven't actually discussed this in long form in a long time and i haven't engaged with harry potter seriously since i was like 12. well you know i guess one of the tough things here that we have to consider too is um how it empowers different people now one i want to say from an external point of view a lot of not great people despise Harry Potter and have attacked it, like the John Birch Society. You know, a lot of far-right groups have explicitly come out against it. True. I mean, there was a mild, in my day, act of rebellion to reading Harry Potter in in some social circles because, you know, I had friends that were raised conservative Christian and were told, you can't read this. And of course they were because everybody was reading Harry Potter. Um, <laughs> but, um, you know, when mm. when that's the like day to day reality that you're faced with, I mean, reading Harry Potter was kind of like listening to ACDC for a lot of people my age <laughs> in this weird way. But now it's become the the monolith the, that it is today. And you'll find almost nobody in this in a serious fear arguing against Harry Potter. Uh, they're still around. They're just fringe. Exactly. That's that's what I mean. Harry Potter has been institutionalized into the culture machine. And we talked about this in Red Clay with Star Wars and geek culture. I think there is something worth looking at in like the ethos of who rejects a thing, though. For sure. Because like clearly 
anytime that there is a reactionary response to a piece of media, then that means that it, like, you know, in some way they were they were triggered by this piece of media into having that response. Uh, and then their little snowflake brains couldn't handle it, so they had to get on Twitter and post a picture of burning a Harry Potter book or whatever. So... <laughs> Like, but seriously, they, you know, there was something in this media that they found too far left, especially, I think, in its time. Um, obviously, any media that came out like more than 10 years ago now with the way that things have been changing, it's hard for all of it not to look a little reactionary, right? I mean, it was built, it, it was started in the 90s in the peak of neoliberal euphoria. So I, I, I do agree that it would be, there wasn't the rhetorical space in mainstream dialogue for a more radical Harry Potter to have gained traction in the way that it did, I suppose. But there's you know, still, there have been radical fantasy and science fiction books since the genres began. Of course. I just, yeah, you're probably right in the sense that if Harry Potter was more radical and fucking uh, J.K. Rowling was a Corbinite or something, then it probably wouldn't have taken off as it did and got the theme parks and got the the movies and all that. You know, I think that underlying message that it's trying to tell more than any system is that uh, our decisions define us. And, you know, there are multiple times throughout the series where everyone hates Harry. He's despised by everybody. Maybe there are lies about him. It looks like he's on the wrong side of things, but he views himself as standing up for what's right, even if it makes him an outsider. And I think that um, that message, I mean, if I if I had children, that's something I'd want to impart to them. You know, it's, it's not just about, okay, they had their little war and then everything kind of goes back to normal. I mean, what even happens after most revolutions or after most wars? You fall into systems. And you, you return, you try to return to a sense of normalcy, but standing up when you see horrific things happening, that's the lesson there that I want to take that I think people should take away, even if you're up against yeah. not just the racists who are organized, but also maybe folks within your own government. I mean, that was part of the thing that happened in the Ministry of Magic is it was taken over by Death Eaters. It was taken over by fascists with, you know, and part of the metaphor of it. And again, you know, you can't count on J.K. Rowling to be the most reliable source about her own book. But at points, she has said that Voldemort is, a represent is supposed to be Stalin or Hitler-esque. And even um, the Ministry of Magic in the later books is supposed to be similar to the government of England, where they were trying to deny that there was a real threat or a real danger. And, um, you know, a lot, a lot of those similar things that happened actually in history. Yeah. And I mean, I think that like the way that you kind of like touched on like Harry kind of like overcomes this adversity over and over of uh, like kind of having his views of what's right and wrong and trying to like keep his morals correct, even when everything around him is kind of like turned against him. And in the end, every time it turns out to be right, because the things that he's right fighting against are systemic evils that he just knows are wrong. You know, at um, different points in the story, too, he he see, like he seems not strong enough to really handle what he's facing, uh, maybe not competent enough, too young, too inexperienced, all of those things. It's him versus a giant hard to define evil but he still chooses to stand up yeah so let's talk a little bit about jk rowling and like also just like sources in general <laughs> you you mentioned at the beginning of this podcast that uh you know you think that there should be some amount of separation between the artists and the work but i think it's important to discuss where that line actually lies and especially with a work like this that's so big and where the artist is living and influential um this is a very difficult to draw and blurry line of where can you actually say okay this is the work that is fully separated and is you know theoretically uh as pure as it can be in that sense and this is the work as it exists through the lens of the creator who is sometimes indecisive about said work yeah i i think that's a really good question i'll i want sorry I, i'm taking up a lot of the air here so i'll i'll give I mean, my you response are kind of our guest so go for yeah, it yeah it's, it's fine it's fine 
I want to leave room too for other people. I just want to, since that was specifically, you know, something I mentioned in the beginning, that unless there's a specific instance in a book that can really be pointed to, I don't think there's much of a difference between, say, you know, when those John, you know, Bill O'Reilly after um, after J.K. Rowling said that Dumbledore is gay, uh, Bill O'Reilly said that the Harry Potter books are normalizing and you know, and <laughs> normalizing homosexuality and um, indoctrinating our children and part of the gay agenda and all these things. And I think that unless there's something specifically problematic in the text that we're pulling from that same source, you know, that it's, it's things outside of what's written there. But I don't think anybody can read Harry Potter and come out of it with, say, transphobic lessons being taught to them or any of those kind of things. And again, I haven't read the books in a few years um, I've seen the movies as of late, but, um, you know, I think that's relevant here, too. Yeah. I would say that overall, I agree with you um, that I think, honestly, like, you know, I read Harry Potter as a relatively young person, like starting in, uh, I can't remember if it started in late elementary or middle school for me now, but, you know, starting around then and finishing in high school. And uh, although I didn't like everything about it, there were some aspects of reading it that were extremely formative. And overall it didn't turn me into like a more reactionary person. So I do see that. However, if we were going to talk about one thing in the tech that I would say, in my opinion, is probably the most problematic aspect of Harry Potter for me, uh, it would be, first of all, where are the Jews? And second of all, what the fuck is up with those goblins? <laughs> oh, yeah, that's the... Uh... <laughs> That's the old yeah. Uh, like, knowing what those goblin caricatures represent. You mean the bankers? <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's a tricky uh, one. But uh, that, that's, that's you... what I said. That's what I said. Mm -hmm. That's what I meant when I said J.K. Rowling was kind of unskilled at world building. In that, it's good in like um a Wild West movie set sort of way, where you have the facades of buildings. And everything looks neat and pretty when you're first looking at it, but if you take any kind of poking to it, then it, and you tease <laughs> out what things mean and how they would work, it's just kind of. I would also agree that she was better with characters than with the the world per se. Like if I was going to say like what kept me reading the series, it was the characters, and if I was going to credit her something, it would be incredible depth of character. Uh, I think her world was sometimes, like you say, a little sketchy around the edges. <laughs> well, there's some Where good concepts just... in there though, like the like with the class or the house sorting system. It didn't matter if you came from a wealthy elite background or a pure blood background or any of those things. You got sorted into the house you were sorted into based on your morals and your values. And I think that's a that's a great concept and something that we should, you know, rally around that our morals and values and actions and decisions should be what unite us beyond any other, you know, external or factor or things that are completely out of our control. Yeah, and I, I, I don't mean to say that the world of Harry Potter is entirely unsalvageable. Like, yeah, no, no, there's good I bits in it. Walk behind certain buildings and you realize that there's not a building there. <laughs> mm hmm. Um, but I also uh, agree that Harry Potter, beyond even just the sorting of the houses, but also in the way that it presents, like, not even just the core group of friends, but other people, like other groups that you see throughout the book, really enforces a lot of, like, concepts of sort of chosen family, of, like, you know, creating the groups around you that you want to be a part of and things like that. I think that is really positive. And I don't know if I've even thought about that like super deeply before, but while we're here talking about it, like that is like something that I would say is is presented extremely positively in the series. That's that, and that's a really great point. You know, one of the things I've thought a lot about before is how Harry kind of finds out that his dad was a jerk. His dad was a bully, and he had this this idea of who his father was as this perfect figure. And then over the, that disillusionment, when he learns a little bit more from Snape. Snape's perspective as um, someone who was bullied and maybe that bullying drove him towards uh, doing some bad things and, and that doesn't excuse what Snape did and there's and his father came from a really privileged background too and Snape didn't and so yeah especially the chosen family stuff that's um, he came from, I mean Harry comes from an abusive household and uh, manages to find people who he really cares about and who really care about him. Yeah, and ultimately, like, he starts to have a support network that 
is willing to care for him in the familial way. Like, you know, past a certain point in the series, you definitely have the impression that Ron's family would do anything for Harry, you know, and that like there's other people around, you know, um, Hagrid would do basically anything for Harry. That there, there are people around him that, you know, would just treat him as if he was their own flesh and blood or however else you want to think about how you care about people the most but like i think that there there is like kind of a, a interesting aspect of that that i think has been influential on a lot of people i think you can see this in a lot of people who were influenced by harry potter you know and a little bit i have some emotional attachment to it too because i didn't have a lot of friends always growing up uh i was a little bit too talkative for my own good <laughs> and that kind of thing and, and my family moved a little bit. And I remember the fourth book is the longest. And I read that book in a single day. And it just, uh, you know, this kid who's a little bit wayward and just doing his best. And he actually makes mistakes. He's not infallible throughout the series. Um, sometimes showing selfishness, um, being concerned about his own motivations for why he does things is a thing that's confronted in there. Uh, and the conversations he has about you know, his, the drivers behind his actions and what he ultimately ends up doing, that resonated with me a lot as a young man. Yeah. Also, Harry yeah. is a hero who doesn't always get his own way. Um, and in fact, like, I mean, like, book five is like nothing but Harry Potter not getting his way, right? <laughs> um, uh, you know, he's, a, he's a, a hero who has to frequently, you know, kind of be in these situations where he wants a lot of things that are just unattainable. And, you know, he has to do these other things that he doesn't necessarily want to do all of, but which are required. Uh, and I think, like, there's definitely some interesting aspects to that in terms of, like, by comparison to a lot of traditional heroes, especially before Harry Potter, obviously everything since then has been influenced by it. Um, but uh, before Harry Potter, a lot of traditional heroes in a lot of like books and even more so movies were these sort of like uh, stoic heroes who kind of like walked this path of justice where everything would sort of line up before them so that they could do the good thing. And that's not the Harry Potter story at all. <laughs> <laughs> I have almost nothing to say regarding the actual characters uh, and that sort of thing because I, I read half of the books when I was 12 and then I didn't continue reading them ever and I have never seen the films. All I can comment is about how it's neoliberal wank and uh, the, uh, the writing, the, the world building isn't very good. That's my area of attention here. Uh, well, I'm learning a lot. That's why I've been silent, because I've been trying to absorb all this, and also because I'm doing something else that's distracting me, but mostly this, okay? Uh, so, you know, I think I'm learning a lot, maybe changing my opinions on Harry Potter, even though I'll never use it, because I don't really interact with that many Potterheads, but... Dre, did we lose you? Hello? You we can hear you. And then you cut out. And then I cut out. How much did Joe miss? Yeah. No, you just, uh, you said something about, you know, some stuff about learning about harry potter and then you said but oh yeah that, that, uh, I, I i cut out on purpose <laughs> oh damn it dre <laughs> i'm just gonna leave you on the leave you on the uh conjunction you're just you're just making this podcast extra confusing <coughs> now when i go to edit it i don't even know what i'll do with this section i'll probably leave me saying this in and listeners will just be like what is going um all right let's get into just some like silly questions for a minute we've we've talked through a lot of kind of like the serious politics of this book the author honestly this is like almost maybe more serious than the episode we recorded with you before which is funny like <laughs> yeah we're like hey chris talk about your campaign and we're just like making tons of jokes about <laughs> crazy meeting crazy people and being super drugs. gay and all these things. <laughs> and uh, I mean, there were some actually there were some very serious moments in that episode, too. But <laughs> but then we bring you here for Harry Potter and it's like we're all like, all right. This is a real debate time. <laughs> I have a joke and I, I want to, I have some lighthearted stuff to share in relation. Oh, so, go for it. Go for it. So Harry Potter, you know, there's a lot of themes about 
respecting people from different backgrounds and and equality. <clears throat> and uh, a few days ago, my opponent uh, she voted against the Equal Rights Amendment, which uh, multiple mm. Republicans and every Democrat voted for. And she, uh, it literally all it said was uh, women are also included in the constitution, even though it just says men. And she just, you know, uh, she feels how she feels about that. Uh, but to me, there's, there's a dark humor to that. There's a little wry. <laughs> uh, that's how she feels apparently. And she actually, um, I, I was told, and I, I don't have a recording or anything, um, but I visited a high school recently and they mentioned that they did a Q and A with her and students. And a young man asked her about uh, women's reproductive rights and she shouted at him and said, this doesn't even have anything to do with you. And so that's uh, that's more just fun. So I'm just I'm just throwing Jesus. shade. I just haven't gotten my 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 chance yet during this to really um, just uh, talk about some of the things my opponent does. Oh, and then another thing she supposedly said, uh, a woman asked her about like, hey, it's great that you got to be pregnant while you were serving in Congress and get great health care. But what about other women who don't have that? And she recommended that they do what she did and, and marry well. Um, Jesus. Uh, what? <laughs> well, let's just, this let's is just fun. read the poor out of existence. Why don't we? Uh, I'm going to be in her hometown. And next month, we're going to every, we're going to 30 towns in our district. I'm go personally going. And um, so that'll be fun. <laughs> I'll be Great. in her hometown. That'll be, I'm, I'm sure canvassing there will be very interesting. I feel like you're building a compelling case here that uh, your opponent might be a Slytherin. She's worse than that. Uh, <laughs> there's a character, I think her name was Dolores Umbridge. Um, she like oh, wears yeah. pink and has really abusive fascist policies. Uh, very authoritarian. And I, I, would, I would go so far as to say that Kathy is... Umbridge-esque. <laughs> yeah, she recently said to... Oh, go ahead. I was going to say, we had a counselor at my school that we called Umbridge because she was just like the, the most useless student counselor. If you went to her with any kind of problem, no matter what it was, academic, personal, whatever, her answer was basically like, rub some dirt on it, go back to class. <laughs> like... <laughs> <laughs> Um, but she would always like dress flamboyantly and like at every like a rally or school event, she would be like, this school is so good and everyone here is happy and everything is perfect, you know? So she kind of had that like two-faced <laughs> attitude. So we just called her Umbridge. Like that's how much, that's how much of uh, influence Harry Potter was on the people I grew up with. Like it was just like a cultural touchstone that we would use that way for sure. Uh Actually, in my stand-up before, I um I got really sick and I lost like thirty pounds. And everybody said I looked like Daniel Radcliffe. So for a while on stage, I would say that I was Spokane's top Daniel Radcliffe impersonator. That did pretty well. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's let's for fun. Uh, I want everybody here to to go. Uh, which Harry Potter house? Would Amy Klobuchar be in? <laughs> Slytherin. Oh, God. Chris says Slytherin. Dre, what do you think? Fuck. What were they again? Give me a brief rundown. Hufflepuff, Ravenclaw. If you throw staplers at people, you're definitely Slytherin. Okay, I'm going to trust your opinion. I know her zodiac sign. You'll probably infer more about that. All right. What about Joe Biden? I think Joe Biden's house is obviously INTJ. <laughs> uh, I would call Joe Biden an example of like the not great side of Gryffindor. He like a, he like want... a shitty Gryffindor. Yeah, you're not gonna get me to say that. But <laughs> look, could anyone tell me that Joe Biden would be where he is today if he didn't grow up rich and white and going to private schools? No. Also, he, he, he lying dog faced pony race, soldier, you know, because polls said that he would do well and, and he thought that he would be a champion. And so he just went for it. You know, it wasn't like a, oh, I don't know if I should do it. It was like as soon as people put the idea in his head that he could do it, he was running. <laughs> That's Gryffindor. Uh, yeah, it's, he it's just like wants the, the glory. Like the Gravel teens, but instead of some dipshit Chapo posting 17 year olds. <laughs> 
Uh, it was the entire Democratic establishment that was propping him up to run. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, next, Andrew Yang. <coughs> Which house Ravenclaw. would Andrew Yang be in? Ravenclaw. Leia, what do you think? I reject. I, I, I don't like. I. This is not. I'm not taking this question. You gotta take it, Leia. You gotta take this question and give me some Aries. <laughs> is Andrew Yang an Aries? Is that even accurate? I don't fucking know. I'm Aries. Is there something wrong with Aries? Uh-oh. Now I think Drake can answer in on this one. Uh, what's wrong with Aries? Is there indeed something wrong with Aries? No. The world, the world wants to know. No, nothing intrinsically wrong. Uh, Andrew Yang was born on January 13th. Oh, he's a Capricorn. Uh, Hell yeah. He, he, he sucks ambitiously. Uh. <laughs> Which makes sense, given how fucking just bad men flop. Yeah, I mean, I, he's outperformed. I don't know. I mean, it's he no. did a lot better than expected. And... He has a very real movement. I just wonder what's gonna happen with that movement now because Oh yeah, he's a cult he's an occultist. That's a that's a Capricorn. He, They're most likely to become cult leaders. Well, yeah. unfortunately I've seen, I've talked to some of his supporters. I went and spoke at a UBI event recently. They just it was the Democratic Party had some folks uh, who asked me to come out and you know, I'll I'll give a public forum on any subject and uh some of them were i was surprised some of them were never bernie folks and some of them have been republican their whole lives and it was really diverse it was in a rural area too um but i don't know what's going to happen with them it's going to be they there's a lot of enthusiasm we we held we've we've gone to events out here and it'll be the bernie groups and the yang groups that have the most um representation yeah there's a lot of enthusiasm uh we're gonna have uh somebody who's like somewhat involved with the online yang game world on the pod soon to like talk a little bit more about where he kind of thinks and hopes yang gang is headed um because th there's definitely this very real movement and a lot of the people uh that i know that are in that movement are also like right now yes there are some of them that are like you say, like Republicans and never Bernie, it is very diverse, but also a lot of them are just ready to vote Bernie. Like they are ready to be a part of the same progressive movement. And so, you know, I don't want them to just feel like they're just useful votes that don't have a voice you know, or that their movement doesn't matter. But at the same time, like, I think that there's some confusion about what their movement is or where it's going. I know Yang Gang I, politics isn't <laughs> what we plan to talk about, but it's a very interesting <laughs> subject. <laughs> well, I, I, I've faced some heat on Twitter because I've said, you know, I'm, I'm open to an UB, a UBI. Two years ago, Ber or a year and a half ago, Bernie had it, um, you know, had, had spoken positively about it. And uh, there can be benefits to it. The original uh, Green New Deal had it in there. I just, I, I, I don't want to be a UBI candidate. I am not here to lobby for Andrew Yang's UBI. Um, I, I think there's ways it can be done well where you make sure that nobody loses any benefits that they already have. And um, mm -hmm. automation is a threat. There's a reason that his message has resonated because especially in the transportation industry, we're close to losing a lot of jobs. But like, I, I don't want every conversation to be about the UBI. I want to talk about our uninsured population and underinsured people. And, <coughs> you know, we the Green New Deal and the federal jobs guarantee is something I believe in because we should be focusing on getting people employed in ways that are going to help our communities and our planet. Yeah, we got to start transitioning. Mm -hmm. That's for sure. Like, we can't just keep doing the same stuff or even doing the same stuff. Plus, like, oh, but also we'll tighten up some regulations. Like, we have to actually start moving to a like a, a transitional economy based on like working around the climate. Yeah. Well, something I'm, I'm trying to figure out how to frame effectively is all these people who are scared of big government, quote unquote, uh, corporations can govern your life, too. They can decide if you yeah. live or die. And except there's less transparency and you don't elect them and their whole goal is making more money. And so uh, that's why, you know, the places where you see free market capitalism take hold and we overthrow democratically elected leaders and, and put in dictators, it, it ends up being governance of a few oligarchs and corporations that just drain the population of everything. And even, um, you know, that, that goes back to a lot of the, the 
um, John Locke, you know, even in, in arguing for, for, you know, free markets, still in his writings spoke of, or wrote about uh, the importance of making sure that your populace is clothed and fed and housed because you're not free if you don't have those things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a real knee slapper. Back to Harry Potter. <laughs> Indeed. I mean, hey. honestly. Hmm. Well, go go, you say what you were going to say. Go for it. Oh, I. Oh, uh, can you all get on our Facebook and Twitter and, and deal with trolls for us? <laughs> oh gosh our our own reply guy thing is starting to get a little intense on our twitter as it's grown and our show has gotten more popular like it's not all the time but sometimes we'll post an episode or something will set them off and uh we get a few people that follow us just to reply guy and be like you stupid lib you don't know anything oh that's the best part you'll never have health care <laughs> it's crazy um, the internet is something else with like just the people duking it out over these issues right now because i mean just with the election heating up it just gets wilder every day the the extent that people are willing to get heated and get involved themselves in these conversations you know i i tried first of all i mean i don't i don't have the time to you know be doing too much of the debating or whatever online and i i try to keep the arguments as simple and moral based as possible as value based as possible and there is a wraparound to harry potter with that um <laughs> because the, speaking to people's values matters uh that's you know vote your values is a phrase i love throwing around when people try to play pundit about who they're going to vote for when people say i'm going to vote mm-hmm. for bloomberg because i think he can win so are you saying the only person who can win this election is a republican because that's what you're saying if you're talking about bloomberg uh, and uh, you know, Trump was a Republican. Republican versus racist. Rep- yeah, D- D- Trump was a Democrat who became a Republican, and and uh, and and op- Bloomberg was a Republican who became a Democrat, and they play in the same golf clubs. It's a big team, and we're not. It's a big party, and we're not invited. And so I tell people, vote your values, and um, you know that we can. Um, we can fight back against this. I, I meet folks all the time who are, you know, uh, we got that white supremacist out here who the who a mile from where I am right now. He's a sitting member of the Washington State House of Representatives, and the FBI labeled him a domestic terrorist. Um, he has a, a compound. He trains young men with arms and uh, and you know wrote a manifesto about wanting holy war, uh, Christian Jesus. dominionism, holy war. A mile from me right now. Um, I'll speak to folks who I'm get probably support him. And, um, you know, when you talk to them about your values, we share our values. You, you, it's in, so because, you know, not all, not everyone who supports Trump or supports that guy is, uh, is a racist or even a bad person. Um, it's just amazing when you get wrapped up in echo chambers and all your friends say the same thing. And maybe people were never nice to you in your life or never listened to you until you got around these folks who also happen to have really deeply problematic and dangerous beliefs. Um, and so just by being someone who disagrees with them, but will respectfully listen and, and, and hold a, you know, a substantive conversation with them and not let it be transactional or just about a vote, you end up bringing people around and, and, and bringing them in. Yeah. I've got principle. If, uh, if you don't talk to them, someone else will, and you're not going to like that someone else. Exactly. Well, let me just say this about the trolls. Our show's policy, and this sort of relates back in a weird way to the original topic of Harry Potter, because J.K. Rowling is a great saleswoman. Um, <laughs> our show, our show's policy when we deal with the trolls online is we just always try to loop back to the show itself. So at the very least, we're getting promo out of it. <laughs> <laughs> Can we have we converted people through our podcast? I have no idea, but I always tell like conservative trolls when they say things like, "Are you even Americans? What do you believe?" I say, "Well, we have." 67 some odd episodes of a podcast that you can listen to and find out a lot about what we believe. <laughs> mm-hmm. So that's the official yeah. not safe for Wong strategy. Turn every trolling into promo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah i really want to create a more effective strategy for joking with them it, you know some occasionally um they'll like someone will do a low effort comment like this sucks and i'll say 
I agree. You know, the, the way that people are being denied health care just sucks so bad. And I know that's not what they meant. <laughs> um, I, one of my favorite things oh, is to invite trolls out for coffee. I've probably invited a dozen trolls out for coffee and they never take me up. Right. There's someone in Spokane who identifies as a Whig um, and <laughs> self-identifies as a neoliberal do they think it, Whig. Do you think it's 1820? <laughs> and they, uh, they, they've been one of my most aggressive trolls. Um, and they do think it's 1820. Apparently, well, that's what, you know, one of the wild things about all of the, this you know deregulation small government mantra do you want to go back to the 19th century with robber barons and unbreathable air is that does that sound really nice to you because america was built on the the america of today the america that we love the america people want to make great again was an america of 35 percent of the population being part of labor unions was an america Uh of social security being a new program of America of Medicare being a new program was an America of the civilian conservation Corps, where thousands of Americans were employed building things in public parks and trails. Pretty much every trail in the United States was built by the civilian conservation Corps. Now to this day, people still fly out from all over the world and all over the country to enjoy, you know, this, amazing beautiful nation we have thanks to you know new deal policies and eisenhower policies uh um chris, chris did we lose you oh we lost chris oh i'm i'm back can you hear me now yeah yeah it's a bit of background noise oh let me move i was just filling my cup with some water can you hear me better now yeah the last thing i heard you say was new deal policies oh eisenhower was such a socialist <laughs> that's what we were talking actually about a messaging idea we're at a debate so so my opponent um the largest applause line she got hold the whole last election was about how we need to fight back against socialism and so i just want to get up on the debate stage and be like you're darn right we don't want to be like venezuela we want to be like america with social security and public fire departments and public education that's america and that's what we need to we need to fight back against all that evil socialism Gosh, I know, right? Uh, <laughs> Chris, I know that we're we're like wrapping this, not even thinking about Harry Potter anymore. But this has been Oops. this has been a great time with you. Um, it was really fun to talk Harry Potter and to just talk a little bit of politics in general. And uh, before we go, I just want you to remind our lovely listeners where they go to get involved with you and your campaign on the internet. Uh, sure. So you can find our campaign at armitageforcongress.com, A-R-M-I-T-A-G-E-F-O-R, congress.com. <clears throat> we just got our Instagram really going. It's A-R-M-I, the number four, Congress. We post some really, it's all selfies, exclusively selfies um, of me, nobody else. And... <laughs> um, <laughs> And uh, just kidding. There's other, it's mostly pictures of dogs and cats I meet on the street. And um, so what else? Our Twitter, Real Army, Army with an I. Chip in anything you can. I'm unbought. Um, a rundown for folks who aren't aware too. Uh, I'm currently endorsed by Brand New Congress, Our Revolution, uh, Blue America, the Washington State Progressive Caucus, the Spokane County Democrats, the 4th LD Democrats, a major, huge, giant endorsement that's coming in the next day or two. Um, and I'm the sole challenger as a 27-year-old vet, first openly LGBT candidate to run for this seat, um, the sole challenger to Trump to Trump's Washington State fundraising chair. Hey, and, Chris, you should um, just say what that big endorsement is because this episode is not going to be out for like a week. Ted Lieu! Woo! <laughs> yeah, I know. A sitting member hey. of Congress. Vice chair of the LGBT caucus, uh, fellow Air Force vet, hilarious Twitter. Um, and so uh, generally I'm, one I'm, of the few people in Congress right now that I can stand. <laughs> I, it, it's why I, 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 if elected, I'd be the youngest uh, serving member of Congress. And we're running a hard, we're running the race out here. We really are every day. We have a full team. 
uh, incredible staff and every bit of it's been done with individual contributions. And I'm not sure exactly how many listeners there are here, but even if it's a dollar or five or 10, we just hit 1100 donors, which sounds nice, but we have a lot more work to do. Um, you know, we have a headquarters next month. I'm visiting 30 towns in the district. We're, you know, going to work on getting more endorsements and we can win here because it, it, you know, when you connect with people, when you give them a chance to be heard, it really can flip votes. I think anytime you knock on a door, you have a 50, 50 shot of earning that person's vote. We're only plus nine red. We're single digit red. And our um, Hispanic Latinx population out here has been massively ignored. I got to meet the head of the uh, Washington State Democrat Latinx and Hispanic Caucus, and we're setting them up out here so that they can connect with our Latinx and Hispanic populations and help empower them to get involved in elections and run themselves uh, for office. And I'm so proud to help be a part, be an ally for for that empowerment. We can do this, but it only happens with folks deciding that they care, you know, and we need to flip the Senate. We need to win every seat we can in the house. And as we learned under Obama, it's not enough to just have uh, a blue Congress. I can't stand that expression. People like to say, Oh, flip the fifth blue for our district. Blue doesn't save us. Blue and red will not save you. What will save us is making sure that everybody has healthcare, not just access. Everybody has healthcare that everybody has economic mobility, that everybody's free from discrimination. That's what'll save us. And red or blue is not part of that equation. And so I hope folks will decide to chip in. I'm super accessible. Feel free to hit us up. Twitter's probably the best way to get a hold of me directly. And I really love being here and I can't wait to come back. <laughs> Definitely. You know you're oh, going to yeah. be invited back for sure. You are just one of our favorite people to have on the show. Chris Armitage, everybody. Thank you so much for coming on today. This was a blast. Yeah, it was fantastic. All right. And with that, we have been Not Safe for Wonks. I'm Kennedy Cooper. Leia Rose. My name's Drake. And if you don't already follow us on Twitter, that's at NSFWonks on Twitter. And we are at patreon.com slash not safe. And much like Chris's campaign, we are a shoestring budget and everything helps. So thank you so much for listening as always. And bye-bye. See ya.